I'm so happy you're here today. Thank you so much for thinking of my birthday. Um, research has shown us, research has shown us that people who are optimistic, they live longer. Thanks, Amy. They live longer than people who are pessimistic. People who are optimistic, according to recent research that was done, and I found this to be incredible, women who have the highest levels of optimism live 15% longer. How many of you would like to live 15% longer? I mean, if you have high levels of optimism, men who live, who are optimistic, live 11% longer, and they are 70% more likely to reach the age of 85 years old. Now, we've talked about this in the past, but this is just fresh research that I came across this week, and um, as I was reading different newspapers and things, we've talked about there's a big difference between faith and optimism. Optimism is where you just believe everything's going to be better, but you don't have anything really to anchor that in. But faith anchors our optimism in the fact that we know that God is in control. Can we give him a hand of praise for that today? We know that the Lord is in control. And as I look at this and I think about what Marie Kondo from what Becky has told me in her book and what sparks joy and other people have told me, I've come to some convictions that I'd like to talk to you about just a little bit. And I think they're so relevant for the pandemic that we're living through as I've been praying. Number one, owning less does not spark more joy in you. Owning less might mean that you have less responsibility to take care of things or to insure things. But owning less will not make you significantly more happy. Owning more will not make you significantly more happy. But understanding what life is all about and why Christ came into this world, that's the key to living a happy life. I think it's good to declutter your basement. I think it's good to declutter your house. I think it's wrong to come in and try to throw your husband's books away. There should be a commandment in the Bible if there's not one in there about that already. I don't know where that amen came from, but thank you for that one. You know, the fact is, is that books are a part of my life, and they bring a great deal of joy into my life as I study and as I read and I pray and I reflect and I think about and try to evaluate what different authors have to say. Probably for some of you, it's maybe sports or hunting or fishing. Uh, I don't think that baseball brings a lot of joy to Dr. Fauci's life. Did any of you see his opening pitch for the Washington Nationals this week? You know, it made me feel good about my own baseball skills because I might get within three or four foot of the base, and I felt so sorry for poor Dr. Fauci, and I'm grateful for everything he's done to try and help us. But you got to admit, if you, if you haven't watched the video, go watch video of that. Dr. Fauci didn't pitch very well. When I saw that, I thought, how well that ties in today because, number one, if you followed along with your outlines this morning, I want to live life well. I want to live life well. And for me, living life well means to live all of my life to the glory of God. One of my heroes passed away, and I've already posted a couple of things about that on Facebook, and that was J.I. Packer, the man who wrote the book that I've recommended to you so often, Knowing God. J.I. Packer lived a great life, 94 years old. And he was still teaching university classes up until just about three or four years ago when his eyesight had failed him and he could no longer begin to teach, uh, continue to teach. But they did a number of interviews with him. And one of the things that Dr. Packer said was that all of life should be lived to the glory of God. 
And he said this remarkable statement here at the very end of his life. He said, you know, if you can live your life and find the joy that I have found in living for Christ, you will be most fortunate and most blessed and happy indeed. And so living life well is not about taking Sunday, for instance, the day that we mimic, the day that we imitate what God has done for us in creation, where we take a day of rest, imaging what our God does for us. And we do that on the first day of the week, and we worship the Lord. We, we both externally worship the Lord, but internally we find peace in what Christ has done for us. We find peace in that relationship that God has brought to us. For rest is not just a matter of getting a nap. Rest is not just a matter of coming to church and worshiping together. But rest is a matter of what God has done for us that we're at peace no matter what's happening in our world, whether it's war or conflict or coronavirus. Reading about all of the past saints and past times and ages during wars and pandemics and during crisis, they all testify to an experience of peace and joy that they find in the midst of that, not living their lives in fear, not living their lives in bondage, not living their lives slavishly worrying about trying to preserve their physical life, but knowing that God is in control, and whether they live or whether they die, like Dr. Packer said, we live to the glory of God. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? That's what it means to live our lives well. And if the glory of God doesn't matter to you, if the glory and the will of God is not imported into your life, then these words that I'm speaking may sound like sawdust to you. If the glory of God is not significantly imported in your life, you may toss this aside idly thinking, that's not what I want. For What I want to do is live my life well right now. I want to enjoy all the pleasures of life. I want to enjoy all the material things of life. But you have a wrong conception of what life is all about. The Apostle Peter writing in the book of 1 Peter says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Would you say that with me? Now we live with great expectation. Let's try that again. Now we live with great expectation. If you're watching at home, just say that out loud with us right now. Now we live with great expectation. Why do we live with great expectation? Because we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Several years ago, Becky and I were in Florence, and we were going through the Uffizi Museum, and I was just so fascinated and taken with some of the the, the paintings that were in that museum, and I wanted to see, because I had read a book that Becky had recommended on art before we went, and I wanted to see the brushstrokes of these masters. I wanted to see the little details and just not just appreciate the picture from a distance, but come up close and try to analyze what made these great paintings. And time after time again, I would set off these alarms. And finally, they sent a docent over that escorted us through the rest of our day in the museum and walked with us. And she asked me the question, she says, why do you want to get so close? And I remember saying to her, because I want to appreciate what went into making this beautiful painting possible. 
and I made a friend. For the rest of that day, she says, while you're here, she says, ask for me because we want to show you because so many tourists look and they pass by. They take their picture, but you want to appreciate. Friends, as we took communion this morning, we were looking at what God has done to make this priceless inheritance for us possible. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? J.I. Packer, in his wonderful book, Knowing God, he wrote these words. <clears throat> Once you have become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Listen to that again. Once you have become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God. If you're here to live for all the pleasure you can get, if you're here to gain fame, if you're here to try to be number one in this life, but if in this life you have set it as your goal to know God, then, friends, you will find the joy that sparks life. But you'll also find this, that walking with Christ and knowing Christ, all of life's problems seem to fall right into place because God has made us more than conquerors and overcomers this morning. Number two what sparks joy is I realize that in adversity, I still have a life of purpose. In adversity, I still have a life of purpose. And perhaps you think that somebody like Dr. Packer, <clears throat> because he taught on university campuses and because he was a writer, that maybe he lived in an ivory tower. But what you may not realize is that Dr. Packer, as a child, was run over by a big truck, what we would call an 18-wheeler here. And all of his life, Dr. Packer carried a large hole in his head that was covered over with skin. Dr. Packer knows what it means to suffer, knows what it means to have battled. He went through the, the, war, the World War II, and he saw all that happened. And because of his injury, he was not sent to battle, but he was sent to university to study. And it was in university that he met Christ. It was in university that he met some students that introduced him to Jesus Christ, and he came to know the Lord. You see, in all of adversity, one thing you and I must know, God is in control. And during this corona pandemic, what I have tried to comfort every family for every funeral that I preach during this time is to say to them, do not think for one moment that the coronavirus is in control. Do not think that hell is in control. But God is in control of the history of our lives. And when your brother, when your sister, when your mother, your father, your spouse died today, they died in faith knowing Jesus Christ is their personal Savior and for them there is a personal inheritance laid up in heaven forevermore. Friends, that is what we have to hang on to because in adversity there is still a life of purpose for us. I've recommended this book to you before as well but scientist John Lennox wrote a book called God's Undertaker. He quotes several people in there as they all have come to admit Though no one understands how life began on this earth. Let me just quote some of the scientists to you out of this book. Leslie Orgel, there are several theories, theories about the origins of organic life on earth, but there's no supporting evidence or compelling evidence. Klaus Dose, another scientist who works on origin of life issues, says this, the origin of life, excuse me, all, at present all discussions on principal theories and experiments in the field either end in, in, in stalemate or confession of ignorance. Francis Crick wrote, the origins of life seem to be a miracle. So many are the conditions which would have had to have been satisfied to get it going. Stuart Kaufman says that 
anybody that claims to know how life started on earth or whether it started three and a half billion years ago is either a fool or a knave for nobody knows. And then finally, Francis Collins says, how did the self-replicating organisms arise in the first place? It is fair to say at the present time, we simply do not know. And of course, you know that Francis Collins was the director of the Human Genome Research. Here's what I'm trying to say to you, friends. Do not let an unbelieving world, do not let an unbelieving press who tries to tell us how life began, or this is how life began. No human being knows how life begins except this one thing that God told us in the beginning. God created the heavens and earth. And how he did that was by speaking it in. And what that process was, I don't pretend to know. But this one thing I do know, what God begun, God is able to finish today. And so in adversity, life still has purpose and meaning. Peter goes on to write in verse 7, he says, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise. It will bring glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. This is our hour of trial. This is our hour of testing as we walk through this pandemic together. This is our hour of testing our faith. You know, I go back all the way to when we were meeting in the sanctuary it was still snowing. It was still wintertime. No one knew what caused it. No one expected it to ever last this long. And this morning, as I've talked with friends in Florida, pastors of churches who've had to shut their churches back down, and the pandemic has spread through there, and we see it sweeping all the way across to Texas now. And we ask ourselves, does anyone know what's going on? Can anyone control? Can anyone happen? Just a few months ago, we were really doubtful as to whether or not it would touch America like it was touching China. But this one thing we know, we have never seen a pandemic sweep our world as quickly as this one has. We have never seen a pandemic shut the world down as quickly as this one has. We have never witnessed a time like this. But the Bible tells us that we need to be aware of days like this. And we are not to be worried and we are not to be fearful. For we know that one day soon and very soon, Jesus Christ is coming soon. And so as I've thought about that and I've reflected on that, I can't remember the monk's name who said, who was asked, if Jesus was coming tomorrow, what would you do? He said, I would continue to scrub kitchen floors. That's what his job was in the monastery. So whatever you were doing before this happened, if you were living for Jesus, let me encourage you to continue doing that. The coronavirus hasn't changed that. In the midst of adversity, don't stop your ministry. Don't stop what you're doing for Christ. As a matter of fact, as I think about this, I'm not going to change how I've been living because before the racial trauma that has hit our nation, friends, already there was a great love in my heart for people of all colors, whether they were black or yellow or red or white. There was a love for people of all colors. 
As a matter of fact, people who have tried to somehow or another co-opt this have an agenda other than what the gospel is. If you're truly a born-again Christian, it doesn't matter what the color of a person's skin is. What matters to you is whether or not they know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. If you're truly a born-again Christian and a spirit-filled Christian, you don't want to see one brother going without while you have plenty today. If you're truly a born-again Christian, everybody matters to you, not just white people, not just black people, Everyone matters in the body of Christ. And so we don't stop being the kind of people who loved God. Mother Teresa, who has taught me so much in her writings, and when I was in India a few years ago and was able to visit the leprosoriums and go to some of the organizations that Mother Teresa had established and collect writings and things there, listen to what she said. If our actions are just useful actions that give no joy to the people, our poor people would never be able to rise up to the call which we want them to hear. The call to come closer to God. We want to make them feel that they are loved. For Mother Teresa and for you and me this morning as passionate followers of Christ, it is not enough to feed the hungry. It is not enough to clothe the naked. It is not enough to heal the sick. It is not enough to house the orphan. You and I must let people know that God loves them and that Jesus Christ came into this world to save us from our sins and that this life has purpose and this life has joy and in the midst of adversity we find Christ. And perhaps that is why I have found more joyful people in the third world who do not have access to all the material things that we have in this life here in America, but people who are genuinely joyful and people who are genuinely happy because of Jesus Christ in their lives. And then finally this morning, I would like to ask you this, or tell you this, that my joy is found in Jesus. My joy is found in my relationship with Christ. Oh, I love living life with Becky. I love living life with our children and grandchildren. I love the fact that my grandson has discovered how to get on Skype without his mother and daddy's permission and to call his papa anytime he wants to. I love the fact that he has such great confidence in me that he called me Friday night and he said, Papa, my mama said you could come to my house, so get on a plane and come now. I love that kind of faith. You see, I love living life with you and doing life with you and all the folks that we get to enjoy life with. But friends, the reason that there is joy in my marriage, the reason there is joy in my family, the reason that there is joy in my ministry is not because marriage fulfills me and not because children fulfill me and not because being a pastor fulfills me, but Jesus Christ has given me a brand new life and my joy is found in forgiveness of my sins and new life with Christ today. That's what sparks joy. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, the apostle goes on to write and says, You love him even though you have never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with great inexpressible joy. I just want to share with you today that what sparks joy is not a good job. What sparks joy is not a full cupboard. What sparks joy is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe you say, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor. I want to share with you this morning, I both know how to be in want and I both know how to be an abounding man. 
as the Apostle Paul wrote. And if there's anything that Becky and I have discovered, our joy is not based in our stuff. It's based in Jesus. I have seen people who have never abounded, but they are so full of infectious joy and so full of love and compassion and a willingness and a generosity to help and to share in life that I have envied their own joy in Christ and knelt and prayed, God, help me to discover the joy in you that these folks have discovered. Part of my concern right now in all that is going on is that we're spending more time maybe with books and the media than we are with the Word of God. The Bible is very clear. The Bible has always told us how to be happy. The Bible has always told us how to be joyful. The Bible has always told us how to have peace with God. And peace with God comes through a personal relationship with Christ. The Bible is very clear that all of human beings' problems stem from one thing, and that's the sin in our lives. And the Bible is very clear that the only thing that can take care of that sin is our faith in the atoning work of what Jesus did for us at Calvary. And the good news is that Jesus doesn't just forgive us of our sins, but as Jesus removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, he breaks the power of sin to continue to control our lives. So how can I be confident that I can love somebody that is different from me in skin color or culture because of the presence of Christ who lives in me? Not because of any good thing that dwells in this flesh of my own, but because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then you might say, well, Pastor Clanton, how do you know then that you will have the power to be able to do that? Because not only is the presence of Christ, but there is a baptism in the Holy Spirit that empowers us with signs and wonders to go out and to live in the fullness of all that God has purchased for us. Friends, I would say to you that the joy that you and I have this morning, the joy that you can have this morning was hard won for us at a place called Calvary where Jesus Christ died for our sins. The joy that you have was no easy thing for God. And the marriage, the family, the children, the life of purpose, the career that you long for to bring fulfillment was hard won for you at Christ. Two years ago, Becky and I met Joni Erickson Tata. We've heard her speak many times, but it was our first time to meet jo- Joni. You've probably seen her on Billy Graham or any of the number of talk shows, and many of you probably read a book about her. But in an interview I watched with Joni, she was answering a question by somebody that did not know Jesus. They wanted to know how Joni could trust God after God allowed her to go through such a horrible diving accident that she went through as a teenager. They wanted to know how Joni could be so happy in her life. Joni looked with compassion and love, and she said, you know, every morning when I wake up, I hurt. I'm in pain. I wait for somebody to come and lift me out of the bed and help me with the necessities of the morning. She says, from toileting to bathing, somebody has to come. Somebody has to come and to feed me and dress me. She said, I want you to know that whatever joy you see in my life was hard won. 
for the rest of the day. But nothing compared to what Christ accomplished for me at Calvary. Brothers and sisters, what sparks joy? It's not only less, it's not only more. What sparks joy is not a trip to Disney World, the happiest place on earth, and it's not a skiing trip in the mountains. What sparks joy is knowing that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and He loved you so much that He was willing to send Jesus Christ to die for your sins. Would you take a look at your outline and look at your growth work this morning with me? Lottie Moon, a missionary, she said, Surely there can be no deeper joy than that of saving souls. Last night, 156 people gathered with us online for our Saturday night prayer service. Not everyone stayed the whole time, but I had all kinds of messages. We stopped in and we prayed for a while with you. And, and I understand it's an hour-long prayer service online to watch, but it was just so rewarding to get emails and text messages from Georgia and Texas and other countries and other parts of Michigan and North Carolina where people were joining us in prayer last night, especially as we prayed over our impact list last night. I'm so thankful that this church has a commitment to celebrating God's love by persuading lost people to become passionate followers of Jesus. Understand the joy you have is infectious this morning. Sarah Miles, who was an atheist, wrote a beautiful book. And in the story of her life, she tells how she didn't believe in God, but at the invitation of a friend, she went to church. And she said, I was served communion, never had communion before. But suddenly as the pastor explained what the cup and the bread meant, she said, I was arrested. Suddenly I was encountered with the presence of a living God who loved me so much and I knew that I could be a part of something more. Sarah goes on to say how she confessed her sins to Christ and was born again. What sparks joy is knowing Jesus Christ, and you can know him today, and he will change you. Matter of fact, he'll do something better than change you. He'll make you a brand new person. So let me give you just five tips. Number one, find your joy in Jesus today. And you can do that just by asking him to forgive you of your sins and come into your life. He loves you so much. Secondly, live a persuasive life of joy. Anyone who's ever followed the life of Dr. Packer, they know this man lived a life of great joy. Great pain, but great joy. Anybody who's followed the life of Joni, no, she lived a life of great joy. Thirdly, if you want to live a life of infectious joy, learn how to share your faith story. I'm almost finished. We're going online with how to share your story so that you can just come right online and watch on the church website of how to share your faith story. And if you haven't been through discovering your mission in life, I want you to go through that because your story matters to people. Recently, a man that I'd only met one time 
knocked on our door and nobody answered. So he came through the back gate into the backyard. We stood together in the shade. I was able to tell him how Jesus Christ can make a difference. And then he looked at me and he says, but I don't believe in God and I don't believe in healing. And I said, you know, I don't even shake hands during this time. But if you want to, you can put your fingers right here in the holes that held me together on both sides of my body. And I shared with him my story. Big old tears came up in his eyes. And now every week he texts me as we're praying together for a miracle of healing. Has he crossed the line yet? Unfortunately, no. But I believe I'm going to see the time because the fruit is ripening. The fruit is ripening. He wants to know more. Learn to share your faith story. Share the joy of Jesus in your family. And then, why don't you just host a Count It All Joy party on Facebook? I don't know where I read that, but in all my stuff, I've been reading about how the church can minister during this pandemic. I wrote that one down on some paper, and I didn't credit the source. But somebody wrote about hosting a Count It All Joy party. There's no need for us to complain. Those need no need for Do I agree with everything the politicians are doing? No. Do I agree with everything? No. But my complaining is not going to help. What I'm going to do is continue to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? And let's pray together today. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, God, would you forgive us for any time that we have ever tried to dispense good advice on how to be happy? Would you forgive us if when we've tried to dispense good advice on how to be joyful without first confronting the awful truth? There is no true joy to be found. Until first, Lord, there's reconciliation between us and you. Jesus, you came into this world not only to forgive us of our sins, but to reconcile us unto God. And it is to the church, not to the pastor, not to the youth pastor, not to the missionary, but to the body of Christ. You have given this ministry of reconciling the world to you. So I thank you for a spark in my life that is fanned into a full-blown forest fire, an inferno of love for you, Lord, a joy that cannot be quenched. Father, miracles are wonderful. Your provision is wonderful. But the greatest gift of all is knowing the hard-won joy that you have achieved for us in Christ. Now, friends, if you're watching online and you haven't given your heart to Jesus, would you let me just lead you in a word of prayer right now? 
Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you. God, you're giving to some folks right now conviction, a sense this is true. Like Sarah Miles, Lord, they're unfamiliar, but today they know it's true. And I ask you to help them to cross that line from death to life and to receive forgiveness for their sins. And if you're not quite sure what to do, just pray this with me. Just mean it from your heart. I'm telling you, God's listening to you. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for the hard-won joy at Calvary that my sins can be forgiven and that I can have a new life. I don't understand it all, but as much as I know how, I give my life to you today. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I've got something very special I want to send you tomorrow. If you'll just share your contact information with us, I'll send you a a brand new Bible that is just full right at the very front to guide you through how to read the Bible, how to know what you prayed this morning, what God did in your life, how to understand that. So many other helps. I just want to send you. It won't cost you anything. I just want to help you get started in your walk with Jesus Christ. So leave us a message or email us right here at Woodland Church. You just do it at office at woodland.church. Or you can go online to our website, woodland.church. And we want to help you in every way we can. God bless you. Thanks for watching. Family, thank you for being here today.